he was very no nonsense about that, wasn't he? You know, it, it almost seems like he's like travelled in time from some future reality where he's like, this is a stupid question. Yeah. Why would you even be asking this? Doesn't she know that's just boys being boys? It's not a man. But I have a problem with that frame and I don't accept it. You guys are all that funny. Come on, you candy. Looks like we got ourselves a ladies man. I'm a baby, I'm a man. Redefining what we come to know as manhood. My name is Will Small. I've been handed stories throughout my life of what a man should be, how they should act, what they aren't supposed to say or do. And I wonder, what stories are we currently passing on to our young boys and men? Are we satisfied with them? This show is not a set of answers. Rather, it's a conversation with those who want to ask better questions. Live a better story. If that's you, you're in the right place. This is the Mankind Podcast. With the right environment and the right people around us, human beings can achieve crazy things. Whether that's climbing the tallest mountain in the world, launching a rocket into space, or being the first one in your family to finish school, I'm a big believer that humans have an incredible capacity to set a course and reach it. This gives me great hope for the future even as we face significant obstacles in our world today. But it also makes me wonder, what are the conditions that can help us make the changes we need to in order to create the future we want? Often it seems like it has something to do with having a team of good crew around you and a clear plan. Whether that's overcoming addiction with the support of a 12-step program or training to run a marathon, the right conditions can draw the best out of us. What does this look like for men who want to up their game in the world today? Who better to speak to about this than a coach of elite athletes? Alan Stajic is the current coach of the Central Coast Mariners. And before that, he was the coach of the Australian women's football team, the Matildas, for several years. Alan has a wealth of experience drawing out the best in people. And he also has a unique perspective on conversations around how our society has shifted towards greater gender equality. I really enjoyed the chance to chat with Alan and hear how things look from where he stands. So here's our conversation. I hope you get something out of it. I'm sitting with Alan Stajic, the coach of the Mariners, and uh, really appreciate your time, Alan. Thank you so much for being willing to be a part of this conversation about what it means to be living out a positive story of manhood in our world today. I wonder if you could just start by giving me a picture of like when you were growing up, what was the version of being a man that you were kind of handed or that you observed? What, what did that mean to you as a, as a young person? Um, look, for me, I was, I was a first generation Australian. So my, my image and perception of childhood was growing up here in a family that had just migrated to the country and, and having a, a European background um, at the forefront, you know, we had a fairly small family that were here, uh, so there wasn't a lot of uncles, aunties, never met a grandparent. So my image and perception of males really came from my father. He was the only one that was really close to me at the time. And, mm -hmm. and my image was that of a man who needed to provide for his family. They came here to Australia with nothing, not a cent to their name, and had to build a life for themselves and for their children. And you know, I saw how hard he had to work to provide for the family and, and, you know, the care and attention he still had to give to us as children. You know, as an adult, 
I've come to understand even uh, more clearly and how much he actually sacrificed of his own life to give us everything that he did. But, you know, I, I certainly felt that as a kid as well. Yeah, well, so it sounds like that was, even though you didn't have necessarily those grandparents and many other male role models, sounds like your dad was a great image to you uh, of a man who was sort of uh, doing what he needed to provide for his family, but also, you know, making the time for, for you and your brother and... Yeah, for sure. He tried as much as he could. Look, he had to work many hours, you know, 10, 12, 14 hours a day just to be able to provide and then still come home and, and engage with the family, which, as I said, he certainly did. So, you know, I couldn't ask for a better role model from that perspective. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, as you think about, you know, across your life to this point right now, do you feel like your understanding of what it means to be a, a man has changed much? And as you think now, today, about, you know, what it means to be a, a positive, good man, uh, what does that mean to you? I think society's definitely changed rather than the perceptions of what a good person or a good man um, has changed. I think the way that our society's evolved through social media, through gender equality, throughout our society, it's come a long way in 20, 30 years from when my father arrived and he was, you know, the head of the family to now where there's a lot more equality, a lot more opportunity for women. The way the roles of mothers and fathers have changed, you know, that obviously has an impact on women, but obviously has an impact on men as well. Um, and, and how we feel about, you know, our roles within a family, within society, w within our workplaces and, and so on. So, look, I, I don't think anything's changed, but certainly society has evolved and that means that different things are, are highlighted, different elements of our lives are highlighted and probably men didn't have to worry about or talk about 20, 30 years ago, such as gender equality, like a uh, mother now having a lot more opportunity to be a full-time worker and be at work full-time, whereas, you know, that was probably only just starting in the 70s and 80s when I was a bit younger. So a lot more factors to think about, I think, as a as a male now than, than possibly 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, it's definitely changed a lot. I mean, my dad wasn't a migrant, but I certainly had the experience of pretty traditional family and my dad sort of working long hours and I've got five siblings, so, you know, I kind of recognised that there was an element of him having to do that. Um, but it is, it's... I guess encouraging to me to see how there's that shift towards sharing those roles and you know for me being a more involved dad for my own couple of little kids um I wonder Alan if you could kind of go back in time sit at the pub or at a coffee shop with your 18 year old self kind of just on the cusp of manhood what would be some of the advice that you'd give give him knowing what you know now oh look that's an interesting question I think I think the part that's harder for men and still is today is to be able to share your feelings and emotions and I think that you know probably historically that was even harder I think that that's changing the way that roles of males and females have changed I think that males have more capacity now to be open but we know how many mental health issues there are in society and and I think the hardest thing for males today as it was back then is still communication and be, being able to share what your problems and not just taking it all you know, and having not taking it all upon yourself and having to deal with it all, all yourself all the time. We still have that sense of, you know, having to be the provider and making sure we deal with all the problems and not being able to share any of our issues. Look, I think that, you know, talking to my younger self, I'd still say that, you know, you need to ensure that you have that capacity to communicate and share, share what you need, you know, with those people around you to find the best solution rather than taking it all upon yourself, which I still think we tend to do a bit. Yep. No, that's huge. Uh, and I think it's encouraging, again, the more men I speak to during this project, I, I kind of hear that there's a, a sort of an agreement that men being able to open up, you know, be emotional and, and be okay with that is, uh, is something a lot of people are starting to acknowledge. Um, so hopefully that'll just continue to move in a good direction. 
I wonder, are there uh, particular stories or narratives that you hear today about how men are supposed to act or what a man is supposed to be um, that you wish you could change or challenge, things that frustrate you that you kind of see either in the media or in your circles that you move in? Oh, look, that's a tough question. Not really. I just think that the way that society's changed, I think the way that the perception of what our roles are have changed, but I'm, I'm not sure they have. I'm, I'm, still sh- I'm still pretty sure that to be, you know, a good role model in society, you know, you have to be one who can provide, but you also have to be one who can share your experiences and still be a good father, still be a, a good brother, still be a good son, still be a good active member of the society, still support, you know, you know, males and females equally. I just don't know, you know, why we separate gender in that respect. I, I still see, you know, the, the nuances of, you know, equality that uh, that are to be shared uh, within all the aspects of life. I don't think that they've changed. You know, for me, as I said, the aspects I saw within my father where he had to provide but still wanted to share time with his family and be a good role model for his family, I don't think that's changed. For me, it hasn't. You know, whether that's changed for others, that's another thing. But I, I still see myself you know, in that, in that capacity to, to be important provider for my family, both in terms of financial but also in terms of time spent with them, in times of welfare, in times of health, in times of nurturing, um, in times of all the things that I think are important for them to grow up and be happy and healthy as well within their life. In the new society with social media and all the, all the different elements that they have now that probably we didn't when we were younger. Yeah, yeah, that's a great answer. So uh, coaching is what you do for a living. You've done it for a long time. Uh, I guess coaching, you know, when I think about coaching, it's about drawing out the best in people, seeing something in there that's there to be developed and helping them to really realise their potential. Uh, when you think about the players that you coach, um, you know, how do you want to see them live both on and off the field? What does it look like to draw out the best in them? Well, look, probably two things are important for me. Uh, connectivity uh, to the actual person and finding out, what each individual actually wants and needs and finding out what's going to drive them, you know, intrinsically, what are the buttons that you could push to get the best out of that person Um, and then providing an environment where people can learn and grow, uh, whether it's on the field or off the field. I think they're the most important aspects for me um, as a coach, you know, and that's whether I've been coaching females or males. I'm always trying to find those special things about each individual that, that make them who they are. Um, that make them the elite athlete that they are, especially within a sporting context. How did they get to the point of where they're at? Where do they want to get to? How are they going to get there? And then how can I facilitate that, you know, as a coach? Or how can our coaching staff help that that process, you know, either accelerate or just help that process grow? You know, and then from that you get the growth and the learning and the improvement, which which I think is critical for a sports team, you know, really have that individual focus, but then how does that individual bring their powers to the team and, and, and ensure that we have a good team ethic and team ethos and unity as well. But but really the focus for me has always been about how can we get the best for that individual, make that individual be the best they can be. It's great. You know, I love that because it makes me think about even in this conversation of what it means to be a good man or what it means to be a good woman, there's so many different ways that can look. And your focus on coaching is obviously not just a one-size-fits-all approach. It's actually recognising that, you know, what does it look like for this man or this woman uh, to become, you know, fulfilled in, in their own potential and, and who they are and that's going to look different for each person. Yeah, look, I think you hit the nail on the head. I've had the, the most often asked question for me has been what's the difference between coaching males and females? 
Um, now that I've coached it um, both at the elite level, and for me, <laughs> the answer's always been it's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's about finding out what each individual wants to be the best they can be and, and how we get that process happening and accelerating if we can. So, you know, to just say males or females as a, as a general group is just stereotyping, and it doesn't work. There's so, you know, every individual has different needs and wants, and it's about the facilitator, the teacher or the coach finding out how to get the best out of that person rather than just generalising them as a young person, an old person, a male, a female, you know, attacker or a defender because everyone's unique. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what's celebrated in the world of football is, you know, st- players that really stand out, stand out because they have their – they've fully come into their playing style, their strengths. That kind of self-awareness is huge. So, look, it sounds like Central Coast is really lucky to have you coaching our squad. So thanks for the work that you're doing there. Um, Let's see about that next year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to choose to put my faith in you. Look, professional athletes, you know, they're constantly training, um, probably more than most people in any other job in society. Like the role of a professional athlete is to become very, very good in a specific area of life. And it takes just a holistic, all-in approach. Um, you know, the way they exercise and, and train and, and the disciplines they have in place. Um, I'd love to ask you, you know, sort of thinking at a broader level, if, if men were to kind of think about doing that sort of training in their own lives to become better brothers, fathers, partners, mates, employees, business owners, you know, what would that kind of training program look like? What do you think are some of the things that men could do, um, you know, to approach their life the same way that a professional athlete does? Yeah, look, again, we're generalising and saying men, but for me, for me, the two biggest aspects that we need to improve I guess in this modern society, and I think probably the thing that's becoming the biggest issue for our current generation is resilience, uh, the ability to bounce back. Um, You know, there are so many things in our society that have improved and have been, that have evolved through different laws and different structures, and I've mentioned gender equality, but all the different elements in our society, you know, even the vote on on same-sex marriage. So there's so many things that have changed in our society and made our society better, happier, safer, which is what we want. But sometimes on the fringes of that, we now lack a little bit of resilience because everything is so clean. We care for everyone. But life isn't easy. And it's in times that are tough. People have to be prepared to to find out how they can bounce back, what method of communication, who can they see, when can they see people, find out what their supportive network looks like, uh, find out what areas of our community can help at different times. So, you know, we have a lot of fantastic elements of our society in Australia at the moment. So being able to have access to, to that support network and that, that supportive environment is essential. So, you know, I think that's that's the area that we really need to focus on as a whole society, not just men, about how, how we build that resilience within within our uh, young children and, and within the people growing up. Because as we know in life, you know, there's always change. There's always things that don't go your way. And then how the people who deal with change the best, whether you're an athlete or not, are the ones that usually become successful and, you know, and ultimately will have a happier life. Mm. Do you have any thoughts on how people can develop that resilience and things that we could be doing as a society to kind of help people? Um, you know, it, I find that with a lot of things like that, when something, something terrible happens in your life, um, it's often the everyday small things that you've done leading up to it that are, enable you to respond well to a, a big situation. So what are some of those small everyday things that you think people can do to develop resilience? Look, I think... I think it's it's a good question. It's so multi-layered to be able to give an easy answer now. I sure. think the people around, and especially within coaching and I guess parenting, and 
maybe I'm a bit extreme as in, in those, but I, I think sometimes we enable people not to become resilient. We, mm. we protect and care for them too much sometimes and, and almost give them a wrap. false sense of security yeah. and safety. Uh, I think it's sometimes okay to let people hurt a little bit mm-hmm. um, and then obviously still provide the supportive environment around them. But, but as I said, life and, and particularly within sport, you know, that's sort of my area. Um, you know, you're allowed to hurt. You're allowed mm. to sometimes not be selected. You're allowed to sometimes not have equal game time as you grow up. You're allowed to sometimes be, you know, second choice or third choice or sometimes not be acknowledged that you did something well. And then how do you deal with that situation? Obviously then you can extrapolate that to society. Like sure. we have to have elements that are supportive. But, you know, it's okay to some for everything not to be perfect. But then how do you how do you find solutions within that within yeah. that situation? I think that's the key. You know, giving people the the keys and the weapons to be able to deal with different situations in life, and wh- whether it's hardship in your personal life, in your work life, in your sporting life, I think they're the keys, and that's when people can draw on their own experiences and their own things that work for them to be able to bounce back when something doesn't go their way. But you know, as I said, um, you know, it's it's not an easy answer. I think that as a coach and as a father, I've really tried to to be someone there for the for the people that are around me when not when they need me, but I also also, I'm, I'm always conscious of how much support I give at different times to, to give them the, the skills to be able to find a solution rather mm. than always having someone there for them. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think about this a lot. Like I've got a, a one-year-old and a three-year-old, two little boys, and they fall over a lot and, you know, sort of are constantly just experimenting, particularly the one-year-old sort of like will climb anything and jumps up on the kitchen table and... Um, but, you know, often when they fall over, there's sort of that element of just, look, I'm going to sit with you, um, but you hurt yourself. I can't take that away. I'm going to be present, but you're learning through through being able to take on those those bumps, those aches, those pains. So 100% really appreciate your answer there. That's a great analogy. That's a great analogy for the things that I'm talking about. You know, how much do we let them hurt a little mm. bit just so they can learn that maybe they shouldn't have went down that step? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, they had to find a better solution to maybe crawl down rather than jump off. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's a great, great, great uh, analogy for life. Yeah. Uh, Alan, what are the things that you kind of have in place in your own life practically in terms of things like mentors or support networks or different outlets, different practices that kind of help you to uh, continue to become the kind of man that you aspire to be and, and to be the kind of man that you are? Well, look, that's a tough one. As I said, I had a very, very small family network. So my friendship network became very important for me. Um, but then again, I'm also very lucky to have been in in environments within the teams that I've been in where where, where we've been fairly tight knit. So I've always been able to be in almost a family type environment within the teams that I've been in where we we've known each other for such a long time. Where where you have that closeness and intimacy to be able to share different thoughts and feelings and, and be able to bounce ideas off. So you know I'm very lucky from that perspective, and then my own family as well at the moment with my with my wife and two young children. So. You know, I've got those different elements. Um, you know, I know other people have bigger families and, and sometimes that's a little bit easier for them to access, you know, aunties, uncles and cousins and, and have that safety network, I guess, in place for that kind of thing. But um yeah, I don't have I don't have any mentors or coaches or, or leadership networks that I'm a part of and that's maybe something I can look into. It's probably a, like a big benefit of being involved in sport. You know, I was just thinking while you're saying, uh, like I've played sport my whole life and being in a team, there is that sense of you get to know each other because you're working towards a common goal. Uh, as different as you might be, it kind of unites you. And I just wonder if, yeah, maybe that's something for people to think about if they're not sport players, 
what's their team look like? Who are the group of people that they're working towards a goal together? Because, like you said, that does create a family-like environment. It's a powerful thing. And playing sport, you know, I couldn't encourage any any uh, parent to, to take their kid to a team sport, you know, yeah. at a young age to, to foster that growth, you know, to be part of a team, to again be find out what your strengths and weaknesses are within that team and have your friends with you as you're finding that out. And again, finding out what your resilient what your resilience level is like, what things can you do well, what things can't you do well, how are you going to improve, how are you going to compete, how are you going to find out how you react when things don't go your way. So I think doing that in a team sport from a young age, and that's where football, you know, obviously I'm biased, but that's where football is such a powerful weapon around the world because it's universal. Mm. Anyone can play tall, tall, short, male, female, you only need a ball and, and a couple of sticks to make a goal. And, and that's why I really think it's the most popular sport in the world, that fact that anyone can play at any age, any gender, yep. any culture. Um, you can just get out there and play and feel that closeness and connectivity to the people around you and you know have fun doing it as well, which is obviously an important component as well. So that's where team sports and especially football really has an advantage you know, in bringing people together, but also you know, having individuals be exposed to that, that network of, of close friends. Yeah, that's fantastic. I heard somebody say recently, actually, you might have heard this, but, you know, why Why is football the world game? Because it can be played anywhere, anytime, anyone. And uh, I love that idea, just the accessibility of it. You know, everyone's invited to be part of the game. Um, that is great. So I'm going to ask you two questions that are kind of linked. You know, I think to be, I think I hear this in the way that you speak, but to become healthy people, we need role models who are both men and women. We need to have that sense of not uh, always dividing the world up in one sense, but also making sure that we have multiple voices speaking into our lives. So first I want to ask you, uh, are there men that you look to in our society or, or in your close network uh, that you think are great examples of a positive, you know, male role model? in the world today? I look for me, probably apart from my father who I've spoken about already, the person that I've always looked up to in terms of leadership around the world has been someone like Nelson Mandela, Mm. someone who can go through so much hardship throughout his whole life and still have the capacity to forgive and and embrace everyone. Um, I'm not sure I have that within my soul to be able to do what he did, uh, to be able to spend how many ever years in jail fighting against oppression and then when you get Mm. out to be able to forgive and lead everyone equally as equal as he could, I think that's unique. I think that's I can't I can't think of any other leader who's had that capacity to be able to to, you know, foster that equality and care for everyone despite, you know, his foundations and despite the things that he had to go through as as a you know, a leader of, of change in Africa. So when I think about hardship and when I think about what what he had to go through it's really something that always you know always always dawns on me as an important aspect of something that you know i'd probably aspire to be like have that within me but I, i'm not sure i have but you know it's it really a unique person in the history i think of yeah that's a great answer and i guess the flip side of that you know to be uh, a good man involves i think so much um you know being able to learn from and honor the women in our lives um i know that i wouldn't be uh anything good <laughs> without the women that have helped to, to speak into my life to challenge me to encourage me to shape me um, and I hope that I've been able to do some of the same for them but I'm yeah wondering Alan f- for you who are some of the women who have influenced shaped inspired um, 
you at different points in your journey? Yeah, look, my life's sort of been a little bit funny in terms of when I was young. Um, as I said, I didn't have a massive family network. Um, and I had my mother in my family network, of course, and she was an amazing person, as I said, who we as a family grew up with nothing and, and had to start from scratch to get everything that we, we had in life and all the opportunities. Um, but apart from my mother, we didn't really have a lot of females within my life and I got into football very early so it was all male-dominated. So all up until my late teens, um, you know, there weren't a lot of females in my life. And then from 20 to 40, it was almost the opposite. I had females in my life mm. everywhere surrounding me, both the players I coached and the people I was around within my within my uh, scope of work. It was, it was just about all females, probably 80 90% females. So I'm very fortunate to be in lived in both worlds so intensely um, and that's where I've really come up with my philosophies and theories about how individual we all are and not classifying mm. people into males and females. So that's why I find questions like that really difficult because I just I don't like classifying and categorising people into just gender because I, I don't mm. think that's the most important thing. I think there are so many yeah. other variables that make up each human being other than just their gender. Everyone's unique so I, I find questions like that really difficult to answer. Um, yeah, I so actually I appreciate I th- you pointing out the kind of the problematic nature of that question mm. because um, you know maybe that in itself is is the answer that people need to hear is actually mm. let's just um, not always divide the world in two, mm. um, but let's look for the good in every every person mm. and learn to see things as a little bit more complicated. Um, and you know, one of the things I've said during the other interviews I've done in this project is kind of I'm uncomfortable just talking about masculinity because to me there's masculinity and femininity in me and same as in women and part of becoming a full whole formed person is actually becoming comfortable with with both yeah and that's and that again the way that society's evolved that's a real challenge i think for, for men today seeing how how far gender equality's come and, and almost feeling threatened by it but i'm not sure why you know it's all about for me especially australian society we really do have the the capacity to have equality of opportunity, which for me is the most important thing. There should be equality of access for everyone, regardless of race, religion or gender. And for me, that they're the most important elements of, of what we consider a fair go. Um, so again, gender is not the only you know, variable that we talk about there. It could be religion, could be race, could be background, could be where you were born. You know, I really think that Australia has the capacity above every other country in the world. And we do. I think we are the most advanced in a lot of those respects, but we really do have the capacity to have a society that embraces everyone regardless of all the variables or, or factors in their life of what brought them here. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, I really want to thank you for your time, Alan, and your, your answers, your, your honesty. Um, you know, it seems like um, you're, I think, ahead of the curve a bit with the way that you think about this stuff. And to you, it's probably normal which is awesome and i hope that for more people they just learn to see the the world that way it just seems like it's natural for you to you're like why is there even a question and hopefully that is where our society heads where you know less of these sort of questions are at the front of people's minds because it's just normal um i'd love to ask you just the final question um you know kind of broadening it out as you've as you've done throughout this interview for any young man woman boy girl uh any person listening who wants to continue to work on themselves what would be kind of your final coaching advice your next steps for people to go and do if they want to continue to become a better person um i think i touched on both aspects already i think the most important elements i think in growing are communication uh, and resilience i think having the capacity to bounce back regardless of of uh change in your life or or the tough times in your life is is a very important aspect in, in developing growing 
succeeding however you want to look at at your life and, and communication is is you know you just can't you can't put enough enough value on how important that is whether it's with your family with your friends with, with your work colleagues having the capacity to share your thoughts and your feelings and you know how tr- trying to find the best way for yourself and others around you you know it can't be it can't be done by hiding and and you know keeping everything you know, under your own lid and, you know, bottling everything up. I just don't think that that's productive for many people. And I think, you know, if we go back to the beginning of the interview, I think men have the capacity to do that a lot more than women. And there tends to be that point where everything explodes and that's the times where where we find it tough. Um, And I guess it's a little bit natural, but it's something that probably we have to try and overcome. And, And communication and resilience are, for me, the two keys. This Mankind podcast is a conversation about what it means to live out a positive story of manhood in the world today. I don't think it's possible to have a conversation about being a good man without including the perspectives of women in the conversation. If you're a man listening to this podcast, why not listen to it with your partner, girlfriend, mother, sister, daughter, see what they think. I've asked a good friend of mine, Hannah Gearhart, to add her voice to this conversation. I I am Hannah Gearhart. I am a writer. I um, am doing a PhD in creative writing at the moment. I'm also a head teacher of English in a, a local high school. I am a passionate feminist. I am married to a wonderful man and we have two small kids, so I'm a mum and wife as well. Hannah, so good to be back with you with a glass of red on hand. <laughs> That's you. It's making everything tasty, happy, isn't it? Tasty drop. Thank you. <laughs> How are you going? Good, thank you. That was a great interview to listen to. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, he's a great guy. I really enjoyed chatting to him as well. Um, what were some of the things that stood out to you listening to to Alan? Uh, I think you touched on this, but just how um, ahead of the curve he is in a lot of ways. That for him it was, you know, a non-negotiable that genders should be equal and also that there shouldn't be such distinction between gender you know it seemed very normal for him but I guess these are conversations we're having every day that women should be treated equally or or taken seriously so that was really refreshing to hear um he was very no nonsense about that wasn't he you know it, it almost seems like he's like traveled in time from some future <laughs> reality where he's like this is a stupid question yeah why would you even be asking this um isn't it like it's a little bit disheartening though that this kind of thinking is so extraordinary that we're surprised by it and I think you touched on that at the end that um, he is almost from a different time and you know it will be nice one day when these conversations aren't so necessary because it will just be common sense so yeah like it's refreshing but also kind of a little bit heartbreaking that it is the exception to the norm rather than the norm at the moment. Yeah, I wonder if a part of that is, you know, he touched on how he kind of said up until the age of 17, 18, his Mm. life was very dominated by men and Mm. and males. And then he kind of spent 20 years of his coaching career and his football career surrounded very much by women. Mm. Um, I guess most people don't really get to see those extremes Mm. in such polar opposite ways. And that probably did a lot for showing him actually... We're all people. Yeah. And whether you are fully surrounded by men or fully surrounded by women, you see a lot of the same, you know, capacity and and sort of uh, driving forces beneath the skin. Mm, Absolutely. And I think that's it. Maybe 
half of our problem is we are just so stuck in our own little environments that we are not challenged to see things outside of our context. Yeah, I find it interesting that Alan said, you know, the most common question he's asked Mm. is what's the difference between coaching men and women? It sounds like he's a little tired of being asked that. Mm. But even the fact that that would always be the question that an interviewer or a journalist wants to ask says something about we expect that there's yeah. going to be some significant difference. Yeah, or some salacious detail of, you know, why women are harder to work with or why men are easier athletes, you know. I think we do – there's comfort in stereotypes remaining stereotypes because we don't have to challenge our beliefs. So I wonder if those questions are driven by a desire to maintain the status quo. Mm. Yeah. Was there anything in particular that as you listened to to the interview, things that you would want people to continue to think about, the things that really stood out to you as kind of the key points to take away? Yeah, there were a lot here. I uh, was taking copious notes listening to this. So um, I think one of the main things I really appreciated about what Alan was saying was that the expectations and social factors surrounding gender expression are so much more complex And I think this is a really key thing to acknowledge that, you know, I think a generation ago expectations of men and women were very finite and now those borders have blurred a lot. And I think that's where a lot of people are feeling a bit out of their depth in understanding gender or feeling like they don't know how to be a man or a woman anymore because the goalposts have shifted. You know, men aren't just supposed to be breadwinners. Society has changed a lot. And I think acknowledging the complexity with which we live could help to make sense of some of the confusion or the overwhelm people are feeling. Um, And in, in leading into that, I think it was really lovely hearing how much He honours some of the good that has come before. You know, when he's talking about his father, um, you know, he he really does honour the the goodness of his father and the way he contributed to the raising of children and how his model of sacrificing for for his children's future was a really positive, inspirational thing, you know, and I think that's important that we don't just draw a line in the sand and say anything that's come before these conversations we're having is irrelevant. Um, There are some really beautiful examples to draw from. I think that's a really good reminder to Mm. look back and to go, look, we're, we're always going to live within an imperfect system and our moment in time is always going to have its blind spots. Mm. But are we doing our best to be humble, to ask questions, um, but, you know, I look at my parents and I just think it, it would be easy to sort of dismiss just how stereotypically 1950s traditional it could look on paper, but I know them. You mm. know, they're not just a statistic to me and I'm like, yeah, the way that they put their heart mm. and their full selves into operating within what they knew um, is what stands out. So, yeah, I appreciate yeah. that point. There is so much more scope for choice, like you said. Mm. And I think that's really important. Feminism or, you know, these discussions about masculinity aren't saying then that how we've done it before is wrong. It's just we need to be thinking about choice and positive expressions of gender and, yeah, letting people have options rather than this is the way it should be done. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... I think Alan talked about equal opportunity mm. and, you know, that's always kind of the, the key um, phrasing, I guess, that it's not necessarily about everyone looking the same, 
but everyone has the same chances. Mm. So can I ask you a question, Will? Please. That? Um, do you think then that there is danger in, you know, what you and Alan were discussing about, there really is no difference between gender. Do you feel like there might be some limitations to saying there is absolutely no difference? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. And I'm not sure that Alan was necessarily saying that. I think mm. partly he must be speaking out of that frustration of he's probably constantly confronted with gender questions but I think I also hear in him an affirmation of his understanding of of manhood and mm. his living out of that as a as a father and as a you know he kind of talked about being someone who is both a provider but also um you know kind of a loving mm. nurturing presence so and I think he yeah and I for for me the solution <clears throat> is certainly not to eliminate the mm. categories of gender um but to kind of create more three-dimensional options yeah. of gender. That's you know, I think that's it. Often we, we probably have an idea of man or woman that's like a, a 2D paper cutout. Mm. When we are talking about gender, it, it isn't a sameness. Otherwise, we wouldn't need to be having these discussions. Like gender does express differently. Mm. And I'm not even just talking about you know, male versus female, like in, in our 21st century context, we have such a broad range of how gender is expressed and it will look individual for people. So I guess we are talking about equity rather than equality if, if we're using the distinctions you made before that, mm. you know, there, there are differences but doesn't mean that one is better than the other or one is subservient to the other. I think that's just an important distinction to make. I mean, one way I think about it... Um, you know, there's there's a difference between green and red, but there are infinite shades of green. Mm. There are infinite shades of red. Yeah. And I think at a practical level for all of us, um, we need to communicate about this stuff, even though it's difficult. We need to be able to talk openly and graciously with each other. We're going to make mistakes. And so we actually need to learn to communicate better oh, and, yes. and, and more deeply and more effectively and to have lengthy conversations that may seem like uh, really frustrating because they're pushing us beyond where we've been before. Mm. And that is going to require resilience mm. that we can actually take a little bit of, a little bit of pain yep. and we can get into some uncomfortable positions, but know that that's where the growth is. So mm. I think Alan, in some ways within the conversation gave us the very tools that we need to be able to do this well. Yeah, absolutely. This podcast has been proudly brought to you by the Central Coast Council and developed by Lead by Story. Help us grow the conversation by giving it a positive rating and review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Music for this show has been created by Josh Corkill and editing was done by Sienna Aloisio. I've been your host, Will Small. Catch you next time on Mankind.